Regina Campbell of The Legal Zone, and we're proud to bring you season one, episode four. Today, we're gonna to talk about non-compete agreements in the Biden age. Uh, this particular topic has a lot of people a little bit nervous, particular employment and corporate lawyers and business owners. Um, but rest assured, the executive order does not mean that any non-compete or non-solicitation or similar type provisions are invalid. It's basically an indication to the federal agencies to look into the unfair use of these type of agreements and restrictive covenants, and particularly its effect that it may have on workers' mobility. So it's less likely, even if something were to come down the pipe, it's more likely to affect companies that are larger in scale, that have sort of national workforce, so to speak, and that use non-competes agreements uh, unnecessarily in order to keep employees from being able to have options to leave the company. It doesn't sound like, although it's not, definitely not off the table, that there's likely to um, affect any type of buy-sell agreements or purchase agreements between parties and these type of restrictions that are contained in them. But once again, even on a state level, these type of provisions can be scrutinized as well if they're not properly or terribly written to protect the company's interest. That's something very specific that we need to also look into and I'll be doing another podcast on because that is a, um, a very fact-tense analysis and very important one because a lot of these times these companies, these covenants, non-competes and non-solicitation are written about rather broadly and they can be struck down or modified if blue penciling is allowed, particularly in the state of Florida it is. Although I always recommend that you add a provision in your contract that permits it in the event that the geographic location or the restrictions are proved to be unenforceable or invalid. So what does this all mean? It sounds all kind of funny and very nuanced, but Try to keep in mind, and this is something you should keep in mind also, um, when you know talking to your lawyers about drafting these type of provisions, explaining to them your actual business interests, where you might be going in the future if you know, um, tailoring them to be a little bit flexible to you know to, also to the employee. Ultimately, if you have these type of agreements in place and they're overly restrictive, it might also keep you from maybe attracting uh, good employees as well. So you want to strike a balance, and that's actually what federal government's trying to do in those states also try to do as well. Trying to strike a balance between protecting employers' rights, legitimate business interests, which include maybe confidential information they may have acquired through their own sweat, so to speak, and blood, sweat, and tears of you know going door to door or building relationships with their customers. The specific network of vendors or pricing that might be very distinct, especially in a highly competitive industry where pricing can be very competitive. It could be margins of percentages. So it can make a very big difference if someone knows this sensitive information about your company can easily be used against you. So every state defines confidential information and what is potentially protected business interest. But particularly in the state of Florida, it's very similar also, um, you know, as most other states, but they're looking at protecting something that cannot be recreated in the public. In other words, you can't just pick up, you can't Google and find the information there and, and properly compete with somebody else. It's something that's obtained, that's sensitive, it's obtained through, again, marketing efforts, sales efforts, goodwill, building your reputation, whether it's a product or a service. So the more that you put into this and the more that you can define something that's special and unique to your company, the more likely any one of these provisions are to be upheld by a court, okay? Now, the more you write these provisions or these provisions can be seen as overly restrictive on commerce or competition, that is also going to be the other counter you know, counterbalancing, you know, factor that has to be taken to place here. Protection of legitimate business interests versus also competition and creating sort of a free market out there. In between, you also have, this is where employees come in as well. You know, there's a separate issue with buy-sell agreements and selling your business, of course, 
uh, but particularly in reference to employees, the difficulty that a lot of companies have is of course you train these employees, you put marketing money behind things, uh, you try different sales tactics, you have different processes, methodologies that might be very unique and sort of maybe the key to your success. Concern is the company, your employees are going to take that, all that learning that took you years and all those potential thousands or millions of dollars uh, to learn and to build and they're just going to turn around and take the information and use it, open up their own company and use it against you basically. So kind of going back to the, you know, to the different factors and the balancing act that the statutes and the federal government are trying to obtain, so to speak, is of course, most states, with the exception of California, North Dakota, and Oklahoma, have some variation of non-compete and non-solicitation provisions or statutes, basically, that protect this company that might have spent, that has goodwill, that has name recognition, that might have put this effort, built something, a database that's very unique, through their own work and efforts or sweat equity, so to speak, right, through their own sweat. Um, and that might be protected. But over here, if you have something that you can Google or easily obtain in a public source, so to speak, in a public database that's for sale, it's less likely to be protected. And the employee may have a right to compete. They have a right to leave your company and compete against you. What wouldn't be fair is that they can take information that's sensitive and confidential that you've built and spent a lot of time and money doing so and just be able to take it over, you know, learn and, and apply it over here. But remember, it has to be specific methodologies and something that's unique. Otherwise, if it's just learned experience and knowledge, the less likely it is to be protected, okay? The other thing is companies and states, particularly the state of Florida, they want to protect the legitimate business interests that can be identifiable. This is where it comes, it's very important for you to talk to your attorney about tailoring business industries, restrictions that you need, you know, segmenting if you even need to, to get that far, and also taking into consideration different employees, risks, level of information, you know, how dangerous are they to your company if they leave, and in which case you may want to provide them different types of packages depending on the level of sensitivity and confidential information, or damage they may be able to do if they go into the market. There's additional consideration there also that helps with the analysis if that person has been able, is able to consider to continue to make a livelihood or not when a court looks at it. But also the courts must balance the right for free commerce as well and free from restriction and promote free, comp you know, not free, but competition basically. What they don't want to do is have unfair competition. That would, that's something that is considered an American as much as, you know, competition and commerce and free commerce is considered American. Because it's not fair for someone to, for instance, steal your confidential information as an employee, learn that this customer likes, has a dog named Jack, and Jack likes bones, a particular type bone, and that's how you develop the relationship. And he's a, you know, Jack is a, is, likes to chat a lot, he likes to talk about his family, about fishing. That kind of stuff is something that an employee probably used under your umbrella, under your compensation, under your marketing dollars and all that stuff. So that's something that may be very specific. Um, so it might be unfair to bring this over here for an employee to automatically compete with you, particularly if they bring the price list over. Well, you know, ABC company gives you 10% off, I'm gonna give you a 12%, because that's information that normal competitors would not know. So keep this in mind, you know, that's also a distinction. Sometimes people confuse confidential information or misappropriation of trade secrets or confidential information, which is a separate protected issue defined not only by federal law, but also state law as to what, what that is. Um, and that's a separate issue. You know, it's, that's, that could be flat out theft versus an employee actually taking not just information, but the relationship that they built. You know, John Smith is, is the one that knows Jack. 
John Smith is you know, the one that talked to Jack every week, uh, three times a week, and chatted about his family and everything he loves to talk about. So Jack is a little bit more dangerous, sorry, John Smith is a little bit more dangerous for him to open up another company. So these are things that we want to keep in mind when you're writing these provisions and also understanding the reasons behind some of these changes or movements and dynamics that are going on behind the scene between employers, employees, and overall, you know, promoting competition. It just can't be an unfair sort of uh, restriction on competition or commerce, but it also, you know, there has to be some counter countervailing um, sort of interest, so to speak, or factors as well. So these are things you want to consider. So bottom line is currently there is no restriction on these types of, of agreements. Now that does not mean that they're not coming down the line, you know, down the pipe, so to speak. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission has been sort of asked, that's what the executive order kind of tells the agency, to look into the unfair use of non-compete agreements and non-solicitation agreements. So, and type of covenants as well, because sometimes they're not just agreements, they may be actual separate covenants, covenants that are contained within an agreement, for instance, an employment agreement. So they want, basically they have been charged with looking into whether there's been sort of an, there's unfair restrictive covenants that are affecting employees' mobility unreasonably, okay? Non-solicitation was not specifically the highlight of this order and people are not really talking much about it, but it does talk about all type of restrictive covenants and affecting industries. And it's basically asking the Federal Trade Commission to look into um, rulemaking abilities and what else they may be able to do in order to kind of stop this from a federal level. But it does not mean that it's gonna necessarily, depending on what happens, withstand constitutional sort of um, grounds or, or disputes and issues between states' rights to protect their citizens and their companies within their own borders. So it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a, a tight balancing act sort of thing for the Biden administration to walk. But it kind of gives you an idea of what they're looking to protect and um, understanding the factors that go into these type of different uh, dynamics. So non-solicitation agreements, just so you understand the difference, it's really more about uh, not soliciting a particular group of people that you might have defined. It might be you know existing customers, it might be prospective customers that you've started developing a relationship with, it might be a referral source, which is also protected in the state of Florida. Past clients gets a little tricky. Uh, because it depends on whether the information the employee has, and we're particularly talking about employees right now, we're not talking about business owners or buy-sell agreements or sales of businesses between parties. So that gets trickier because, for instance, the longer that a, a client no longer has a relationship with the company or it might become stale, the less likely it is that's a protective interest unless it's a recurring sort of business source. You know, there's an ongoing relationship, and in which case most of the time they're not past clients or existing clients. But that would also be very business specific. You know, do your customers place orders every six months? And in which case, you might define that person as an existing customer, you know, unless they haven't placed an order for two years. And if they haven't placed an order for two years and typically the product or the services is required every six months, it's less likely that particular customer is going to be a protected interest, okay? So this is, you know, this is non-solicitation agreements. It basically says you can't contact, you know, you can't try to solicit an employee or take them away from us and use them for your company. You can't solicit these type of vendors, potentially that there may be a unique relationship with them uh, that's, that's protectable. And also, of course, clients and how you define this. This is all very important to define these, these, these things in the agreement. If they're overly broad, they're more likely to be struck down. So this is something in general we want to look into. You don't want to have contracts that are susceptible to being considered invalid or heavy litigated either because they're so ambiguous or broad. So these are things in general you want to take the time to, to tailor these type of provisions and covenants whenever you have them or agreements if they are standalone agreements. 
Non-compete agreements have the same issue, and of course they get more attention, particularly under the executive order Biden issued. But non-competes goes a little bit further. They basically might restrain an employee from going to a company that does compete with your company. So, and for a particular time period, sometimes these non-compete provisions are narrow, narrowly tailored to just basically keep you from competing with customers you've already had contact with within your prior employment. Um, sometimes it's you know, a year. Everything is subject to reasonableness. So if you're asking for a five-year restrictive covenant and a person, for instance, was um, potentially a nail tech, that might be considered unreasonable, especially if it's a lar large area, geographical area. Let's say you have someone that's a nail tech and you're restricting her for 50 miles for five years. That's most likely going to be an unreasonable restraint on the person's ability to make a livelihood, for the nail tech to make a living. Okay, so it has to be there has to be some definition. Every business is so different and unique, so you really have to understand the ins and the outs and draft these provisions in that way. But the non-compete provisions, specifically in restrictive covenants, there's concern there because again, it can keep you within the industry. Let's say you're within um, the the shoe industry, so to speak. You sell shoes. Okay, depending on what level type of employee you are, whether you're at a retail you know level, which is less likely to need protection. But if you're, let's say, an executive level or mid-management level, you may have information that is very sensitive. And if you went to, let's say, from Nike to Adidas, <laughs> you know, that could pose a problem because you're well aware of the information on a potential national global level, depending on what segment you're in or what your, uh, your job functions are, to cause harm when you change companies, significant harm to the other company, to their goodwill, to their reputation, to their sales plans, you know, where they're going with things in the future, you know, where they're going to expand, where they're going to retract. This is information that's obviously not readily available to the public. So depending on what, you know, what type of employee you have and what level of access they have and sort of harm they could potentially you know, cause a company, um, that should dictate the level of restriction, if at all. In some cases, you may not be restricting, you know, uh, an employee. Maybe you're just doing a non-solicitation provision or not because basically let me the reason let me let me go back for a moment so the non-compete basically would depend on the level of the employee and how much of restriction you should tailor it accordingly but for instance you may have circumstances when you have a competitor wants to hire your sales customer service person you think well okay you know i have i have you know 200 of them what damage can that cause Unfortunately, sometimes the competitor is doing that because you might be a well-known, you know, very, not just personable, because that really goes with the employee, their ability to be personable and a good salesperson. But they may have access to certain client information that, unfortunately, the new employer wants to, um, the employee to bring the information over, and in which case it's sort of an unfair competition situation and theft, you know, and, and, and a very, and it's, it's literally a list being taken over with client-specific information. So there's all different circumstances in which we're trying to protect, but you can probably, the more I give you examples, you can probably see how there's factors. There's legitimate interest in protecting businesses, and there's also legitimate interest in not overly restricting employees when, when necessary. And even aside from the Biden order, these are things that you just don't want to be litigating, whether overly broad or extensive. It just leads to more litigation, more difficulty. Potentially, you're also restricting or keeping good employees that might be great for your business or your company, they're more frightened by it, basically. It's more scary, uh, you know, for them to potentially work with you. They may consider working with a competitor that's a little bit more friendlier to the employee, more flexible, more understanding of the overall bigger picture. 
So it just really depends on the circumstances. I've seen them all from, you know, different type of employees to executives. And of course, the non-compete and the non-solicitation provisions change. Often with executives, though, they're given a year, two years of worth of salary, in other words, to stay out of competition. So they're being given a livelihood almost even during the period of the non-compete. Um, and it's, that makes sense for a lot of companies. It might just be a matter of freezing them sort of out until the market changes. It's, it's enough time period for the market to change where that person can no longer pose a threat given their position or knowledge of the company. So these are complicated topics, but I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about and rest assure everybody that the non-compete agreements are not dead in the Biden age. And um, once again, we'll have a little bit more podcasts that go into detail about non-competes and give you examples on the industries and maybe what non-compete agreements would be reasonable in a particular industry. I'll take apart this topic a little bit further in other segments. But hopefully this has been helpful. We want to encourage you all to follow us on social, our social media accounts. Uh, also subscribe to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, or hear us on Buzzsprout, uh, whatever interests you. And if you want to know about future podcasts, please sign up for our newsletter as well. And we want to thank you all for tuning in and hopefully this information has been helpful. Thank you so much.